We've been going point by point through one of the most important, probably the most powerful and influential talks ever given. Imagine the most influential TED talk and just, I don't know, multiply that by a billion, and that'll give you an idea of how influential the Sermon on the Mount is. It's Jesus's core talk. It's where Jesus summarizes his basic core message. It's, it's influenced countless people. It's created all kinds of humanitarian uh, movements and it's, it's, people have started hospitals from reading this and it's, it influenced Gandhi and Mother Teresa and countless people have really changed their lives once they've read this incredible teaching of Jesus. And so we've been going point by point through this, studying each section. And this morning we come to the place where Jesus talks about money and possessions. And, uh, uh, yeah, so this morning, um, I want to introduce what Jesus is saying a little differently. I want to introduce it by talking about two closets that represent two very different people that Jesus brings up in this section of Scripture. One closet is filled with sports jackets and several bow ties and a row of button-up shirts in every color. Uh, this closet represents the person who has means. The second closet is sparse. There's a few shirts, uh, a couple jackets, no ties, just lots of empty space. And this closet represents those who struggle to make ends meet. Well, in Matthew, Matthew 6, 19 to 34, Jesus first addresses the person that has a lot, the person whose closet has a whole uh, panoply, I love that word, a whole, a whole rainbow of colors right there, right? Their closet is full. This is the person with means. And then Jesus, in verses 25 to 33, wants to talk to those who are struggling, okay, those who are filled with anxiety. Uh, and then at the end, he's going to address both groups. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at what Jesus says to those who have means, to those who financially struggle, and then to everybody. And we start off with uh, those who have means. In verses 19 to 24, Jesus addresses those who are in a position to lay up things. They're in a position to store up. They're in a position to fill up their closet, right? And, and there's a fundamental question Jesus is going to be pushing at here in everything he says. And here's the question. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? If you're a person with means, what do you treasure? Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Moth and rust, that's natural, you know, elements, right? Thieves, that's the human agency. And, and, and the point is pretty simple. Uh, everything that we see is vulnerable. Everything in this world is vulnerable. In fact, everything in a junkyard was once an object of value. That's the junkyard slide, Josh. Thank you. Everything <laughs> in a junk... I know, I, I went fast through that section, didn't I? Everything in a junkyard is once an object of value. Uh, you know, it's something that somebody at one time said, I'll pay for that. I'll pay top dollar for that. I, I, you know, give me my checkbook. I want that. Everything in a junkyard. See, all stuff in this world is this way. The stuff that fills our homes, our drawers, our closets, our garages that we have in store away, God, God have mercy on our souls, everything, 
is destined to become trash. We're just the middlemen. The only difference between the things that are at the dump, the junkyard, and the things that are at the mall, the car dealership, is just simply time. Treasure is junk plus time. <laughs> if you want a formula, here it is. Junk equals treasure plus time. There you go, math majors. So this is sobering. This is sobering what Jesus is saying. If you think about your things right now, your home, your car, your clothes, yes, our technological gadgets, that beautiful car, it's all headed to the junkyard. Your wardrobe, think of the thing you love the most. I have, in my mind, something. It's my favorite article of clothing. Someday, it'll be five cents in some thrift shop. And someone will say, no way, I would never wear that. I wouldn't be caught dead in that. <laughs> Those of you, and I'm not going to mention any names, Luther and Georgina, that just got a new <laughs> kitchen remodel. If you just got a new kitchen remodel, someday someone's going to walk in and say, what were they thinking? Give me the sledgehammer. Let's get this out of here as soon as possible. It's sobering, right? Now, I want to be clear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that the problem is treasuring. Jesus doesn't say don't treasure. He's not saying be stoic. Jesus is pro-treasure. We are treasuring creatures. When I was four years old, I had the first object that I treasured. Harry Johnson, little teddy bear. I loved Harry. I carried him with me everywhere. And then the thief came in to steal and destroy my sister, Tony. She snatched Harry Johnson from me, and I pulled back, and his arm was ripped clean off. I remember it like it was yesterday. Tony, if that's her real name. My sister does listen to these, by the way. Tony, I do love you. Um, Jesus is not saying don't treasure. Treasuring is part of being a human being. Treasuring is natural. Children do it. No, he's saying be smart about what you treasure. Think about what you're treasuring. And if you're a person that can fill up your closet, be especially careful because it's easier to make nice stuff your treasure. See, Jesus is giving us economic advice. Don't make something your treasure that will one day be junk. Jesus is saying, don't take earthly treasures as your fundamental value in life because they can't be held intact. Why give yourself to that? Now, if you checked into Motel 6 and you're on a trip and uh, you sit back and you think, this place is junky. Look at this TV, this doesn't even work. The art is just so stupid. This bed is ridiculous. And you go, you know what? You look out the window, hey, there's an art gallery out there. And you go down there and you buy a really nice piece of art. You just, woo, break the bank. And they go, oh my gosh, I need a TV. You go to Best Buy, get a TV. Then you go and you go to Ortho and you get a brand new mattress and you fill up that motel and you just kick it for that night. It is a great night. You know what? You're a fool. <laughs> because you have to check out. And this is the problem. This is the problem. Jesus is saying, don't lay up a bunch of stuff when you are going to check out someday. This is temporary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer really pays attention to this idea of laying up, of storing up. He says, goods are to be used, but not to be stored up. Use your treasures. Don't collect them. If you have a beautiful home, use that home. 
with an eye towards heaven. If you have a car, use that car to the glory of God. One of the things I want to ask you to do when you get home, I want you to go through everything you have, itemize it, and say, Lord, how can I glorify you with this? And if you can't answer it, sell it and give it to the church so the pastors can go to the Caribbean. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but think about that. Think about how you can glorify God with it. A famous missionary named Jim Elliott went and he died. And people thought, wow, he went to try to reach this this unreached group of people and he died. But before he left, he made this claim, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, he understood that he was a steward, that everything he had was actually not his. It was on loan from God. And that everything under his disposal was the master's to be used as the master desired. But there's more than the issue of getting back from our investment that Jesus is getting from here. Jesus goes on to tell us that what we make investments in are incredibly important because how they impact us. In other words, you can't disconnect what you treasure from who you become. Look what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is your heart? Your heart is what moves you. It's what, it's what propels you in life. It's what directs you. And Jesus here is telling us that we are shaped by our treasures. J.R.R. Tolkien undoubtedly understood that we are shaped by our treasures. And if you've read The Lord of the Rings, there's a certain character, right, that is deeply propelled by what he treasures. I can't say it with that accent, but it's like, my precious, right? I, I, I tried, I practiced, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, somebody here can say it. You know, the amazing thing about Gollum is not that he's distorted and disgusting and narrow-minded and this obsessed little creature, this creepy, half-blind, pitiful thing that lives in the wet darkness and eats raw fish, even the head's gross. The thing that's incredible is that at one time, Gollum was a hobbit. What happened? Well, he treasured the wrong thing. He became focused on that darn ring. And as a result, he became distorted and a beast and a monster. He couldn't enjoy, he couldn't enjoy just being a hobbit. Being a hobbit was cool. I mean, they had those big feet. <laughs> Smoked a pipe. They, would sit around, they just enjoyed their little hobbit town, you know, with those round doors. And the whole thing was pretty good. It was a good situation. But then he got focused on that ring. He couldn't enjoy being a hobbit. And he went from being this kind of adorable, playful, stout, little creature to being this pathetic naked monster. And, and this is a great illustration for what Jesus is saying. Jesus is warning us. He's warning us that our treasures have a deep, powerful impact in shaping us. And if our treasure is money, we will be shaped by greed. And if we treasure security, we'll be shaped by fear. And if we treasure approval, we'll be shaped by our reputation. And if we treasure success, we'll be shaped by our achievements. If we treasure physical appearance, we'll be shaped by vanity. If we treasure power, we'll be shaped by arrogance. But if, above all, we treasure God, we will be people that are marked and shaped by love. Jesus goes on, claiming that what you treasure not only shapes who you are, 
but what you see. And this is this weird verse, okay? Let's read it again. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? All right, we could go, I mean, my goodness, this is where commentators love this stuff, right? <laughs> if, if people are writing Bible commentaries, they're like, finally, something where I can show I know the ancient Near East and the history and da, da, da. You know, there is so many interpretation on this. Here's the bottom line. What Jesus is saying is that there is a connection. There is a connection here between what grabs your attention, okay, what you treasure, and, and what you can see. Okay. There is a connection. Now, some people say it's, it, you know, what Jesus is saying is the, uh, the eye is like a lamp, all right? And it sheds light. And we think, well, that's some ancient view. You know, we don't have light coming out through our eye. But the point is that you can't disconnect what it is that's grabbing you and what you see. And that's actually a very postmodern view. I mean, it's, it's anti-enlightenment. We're not object, objective creatures. We go out into the world and we see the world based on our fundamental orientations and desires. We can't help but do that. I used to love to surf northern Mexico. We've surfed northern Mexico. I love, you know, there's so many great spots. And when I was, when I was in my 20s, you know, I had hair down my back and I drove a VW bus and, you know, I, I, I would just love, I, I mean, I took that bus all over, that was crazy. I, I could have died, but, you know, I loved it. I didn't, you know, you're in your 20s, you do stupid stuff. But I used to love to surf Mexico. And almost every little town, kids would run out. Little girls would run out, chicle, chicle, and they're selling you gum. Get, get out of the way. I'm here to surf. <laughs> the waves. Well, something happened. I had a daughter. I took a break from surfing, you know, you have a young kid. And the next time I went back to surf, down in Mexico, the first little girl that ran up and said, chicle, chicle, I broke into tears. This was somebody's daughter. What had happened? I began to treasure a little girl, and suddenly I could see little girls everywhere that I had never seen before. See, our treasures are incredibly important. This is why Jesus constantly says, to him who has ears to hear. Jesus knows that what you perceive is so deeply attached to your affections, there are many things we do not and cannot see because of our treasures that blind our hearts. Jesus goes on. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this is one of those situations where it seems like Jesus is getting harsh. It's like drawing a line in the sand. You've got to, you know, love God or you've got to love money. What's it going to be? But I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think Jesus is being very harsh. I think Jesus is just simply being descriptive. He's, he's telling us something that many ancient philosophers tell us, that that our vision of the good life becomes our ultimate reference point. Philosopher Dallas Willard puts it this way, we simply cannot have two ultimate goals or points of reference for our actions. That is how life is, and no one escapes. And Jesus here is telling us that you cannot have the American dream and his path of discipleship at the same time. These are two conflicting aims. 
The American dream tells us that the here and now is what's important, to live for comfort, to make yourself secure, to be important in the eyes of others, to promote yourself, to draw attention to yourself through social media, be popular, pursue what makes you happy above all. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says God's coming kingdom is what matters. Take up your cross. Hold on to things loosely. Be important in the eyes of God. Promote God. Draw attention to God. Be concerned about what God thinks and love people with reckless abandon. Forget about yourself. Those two do not work together. Some people have closets filled with stuff, but some people, some people spend all night filled with anxiety don't know how they're going to make the mortgage payment, don't know how they're going to pay rent, don't know how they're going to get their kids through school, they don't know how they're going to retire. And to these people, Jesus asks a different question. He asks, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Food and clothing. Food and clothing. I wish somebody would give some deep thought about clothing someday and write a book about that. But um, <laughs> why are these important? What we put on our body, what we put in our body. Well, because they impact us at a visceral level. They're not just abstract, right? And so when Jesus is talking about worrying, he talks about food and clothing because worrying is visceral, right? Stress is the physical condition, right? I mean, worrying is, has multiple levels. You know, Heidegger talks about Gewordenheit, the throneness of being in the world, you know, <laughs> angst. That's a very philosophical, abstract sense. Then there's stress. It's, it sits in you. There's ulcers, right? You know? Worry is also that kind of psychological thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's powerful. It, it touches our entire being. It really does. And so Jesus wants to talk about food and clothing because they hit, home to, hit close to home. Um, and, and Jesus is asking a very simple question. And he's saying, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now listen to what's behind Jesus' question. Behind his question is somebody whose world has become like this. Just become like this. So focused. And that's what happens when we worry. Right? It's horrible. When you worry, your world just shrinks. And you become so fixated. You become just like that golem in, in another way. Right? You become so focused. Worry makes our lives small, and it robs us of joy, and it makes life unbearable. It makes us unable to really enjoy the present, to live with freedom, to just enjoy the present moment, the gift of moment after moment after moment after moment that God gives every single one of us every day, every moment we're alive. Every moment is called the present because it is a present. And when we are stuck with worry, we cannot receive that present. Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus loves worriers. He doesn't want us to worry. Now, I know it sounds like, you know, Jesus here is saying, don't be anxious about your life. 
It's a command, and it's like, Jesus, believe me, I don't wake up like, oh boy, another day to worry. You know, forget you, God, I'm going to worry my head off today. But Jesus isn't saying, buck up, you know, stop it, whistle a happy tune. That's not what Jesus is saying. And, in, and I loved how Patty read it, because I think she captured the heart of Jesus. You know, Jesus here is acting more akin to like a good therapist, right? Exposing the heart issue, causing cognitive dissonance, saying, hey, what's going on here? What's going on? Starting to pose some considerations and asking questions that are just challenge the kind of issue that's behind this. And he does this through three considerations. And this is found in the next passage. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God... So close the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he has these three different object lessons. He says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns. I mean, here's Jesus. You know, you're sitting down across from Jesus, and he's like, hey, let me just ask you a question here. I see you're really anxious. What do you think about those birds? Those birds, you know... What's up with those birds? They wake up and they start singing. Like, don't they realize that they need to plan out their day? Those birds, they don't even like plan how they're gonna, what they're gonna be doing with the stock market two or three years from now. They just, they just get up and they just assume food's gonna be there. They're so carefree and then they ride these currents of air and they're joyfully singing. And somehow, day after day, they, they get their needs met. What's up with those birds? What do you think? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I never thought about the birds, Jesus. I don't know. I, I, got, I got a mortgage payment. I don't, the bir- I don't think about the birds. Well, let me ask you another question. I've noticed that you're worrying a lot, and I just want to ask you, is this helping you feel better? Is this helping you uh, in terms of your anxiety? Is this, you know... I, which of you, by being anxious, has added a single cubit? Let me just ask you, who's your inspiration that's really been a good warrior? That you're like, I want to be just as like them, because clearly worrying is a great strategy. I just want to ask you that. See what Jesus is saying? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus is saying, you know, what is, what, how, do you, how do you expect it? I know worrying is a really important strategy for you. It must really work with controlling your life. So tell me how you've learned to control life through worrying. And then Jesus turns to the flowers. Those flowers. What's up with those flowers? They never have to get up early to get their hair done, their makeup on. They never have to go to the mall for the latest thing. Those flowers, they're so lucky. God must love those flowers much more than you. You know, they're here today and thrown in the fire, so he must love them much more than you. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? And, and, and then he drives the point home. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. 
and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus walked through life with such a deep, calm sense of the Father's goodness, of the Father's constant provision. Now, if I got a call from school and they said, you know what, you need, you need to do something. Your daughter is, she's, during lunchtime, she's pulling stuff out of trash cans. She's stored it up in her locker. She's got some half-eaten energy bars and drinks and stuff. And yeah, can you just give her some lunch, man? I'd be like, I'd, I'd get her. I'd be like, hey, what, what's going on here? Why are you doing this? Well, you know, I didn't want to ask for anything. I mean, my goodness. I'd be like, I'm your dad. I love giving you lunch money. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, He'll buy you a new car. That's, that's a little crazy. No, just kidding. But, I, I, you know, but our Heavenly Father has all the resources in the world. And he's at least as good as us, right? Do you think that God delights in giving you things? Jesus does. Jesus thinks that your Heavenly Father delights in giving you things. Now, if you were a Gentile and you didn't believe you had a Heavenly Father, if you believed you had this God you needed to manipulate through all these sacrifices and get that God on your side, that's understandable. But if you have a God who's made such unblushing promises about your well-being, about the goodness that awaits you, that he's going to wipe every tear from your eyes, that he has a mansion prepared for you, that this life is nothing compared to everything he's going to bless us with. We wouldn't need to act like functional orphans. Functional orphans when we have a heavenly father. So, do you struggle with treasuring or worrying? Which do you feel most tempted by? Are you deceived into treasuring things that one day will be a landfill and or in the dump, or are you consumed by the cares of life? Is your closet full or empty? Now, this is dangerous with this group because you like each other. But just very quickly, turn to your neighbor and ask them, full or empty closet? Or just tell them, full or empty closet? Whatever you are, full or empty closet. Just do it. You've got 10 seconds. Three, two, one, time's up, stop talking. Awesome, thank you, thank you. Um, so I have a confession. I have a confession to tell. These two closets are not hypothetical. Last weekend, I organized all of my shirts and I sent a picture to Josh Swanson. And not long, after he sent back a picture of his closet. <laughs> and I was immediately convicted. I mean, I was just crushed. I clearly had failed to help my dear friend Josh understand the value of dressing well. Like, what kind of friend am I? <laughs> Hey, the reality is, none of us fits neatly into these categories, right? From one vantage point, hey, we are all Americans. We're all in the top 5%. We're all rich. 
Everybody in the world wants to be us. There are people in this world that would dream to be in your position today. I don't care what your situation. You are in this country. You have so many blessings. We are the envy of the world. And all of us, therefore, are tempted to allow our hearts to cling to treasures. And I don't care how much money you make, you can be anxious about finances. It doesn't matter. These are really two sides of the same coin. Whether you're tempted to trust in riches or to be lost in the cares of the world, it's the same issue. In both instances, we are giving our money and our possessions too much weight. Having it, when we give money and possessions too much weight, by having it, we become blinded by its lure. We become blinded to things God sees. And then lacking it, we are robbed of our joy. Either way, it's presenting a false security to us. A few chapters later in the parable of the sower, Jesus says one of the fundamental obstacles that keep people from following him, from being his apprentice, from receiving his invitation, is their relationship to stuff. That is profound. Their relationship to stuff. That all too quickly when they hear Jesus' invitation, their, life is, their mind is crowded out with worries about life and the lure of wealth, and no fruit is produced in their life. They do not follow Jesus because of stuff. So to both of us, <laughs> whether you are a closet full or empty, Jesus has one last question, and that's this. What do you seek? What do you seek? What do you seek? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does seek imply? Seek implies that there is a great treasure. If somebody told you there were some gold bars buried in your backyard, you would tear that backyard apart. You'd be uprooting trees. You'd be tearing into the concrete patio. You would not stop. I would not stop until I found those gold bars. And the Bible says the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Nothing. Just paving material. The command seek also implies that it's something that can be easily missed. That if we don't look for it, we can, we can miss it. So why should we seek the kingdom of God? Why? Because it's the only way that we're going to learn how to live with money and possessions. Paul said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. Isn't that great? Good for you, Paul. You're something else, right? That's not what Paul's saying. How did Paul do that? Don't you want to know how Paul did that? I want to know how Paul did that. Paul tells us just a few verses earlier. This is what he says. I consider everything a loss in uh, in light of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I considered everything garbage that I might have Christ. In other words, 
How did Paul get to this place where he was not one minute lured in and the next minute panicking on that back and forth? He sought first the kingdom of God. He treasured God above all. He wanted to know Christ, to walk with Christ, and everything else didn't matter in comparison to this. He wanted to use his possessions in order to make Christ known. See, his treasure was Christ. And as a result, he had this incredible freedom to live life without worry, without being narrowed down, without being focused, without being blinded to the people that are around us day in and day out, to the gift of the present that God gives moment by moment. We can live with open hands when those hands are raised in worship to Christ. Facing death, Paul said, I don't know which is better, to depart and be with Christ or to live live on here and continue leveraging everything so others might know Christ. Like, yeah, I live, I die, you know, I've got Christ. Wow. So what are we worried for? What's the worst that can happen to us? If we're seeking the kingdom of God first, we are untouchable. We are untouchable. There's nothing that can get to us. If Christ is our treasure, there is nothing that can get to us. There's no reason we can't wake up every day with a song in our hearts and say, you know what, I have the greatest treasure. I have you, Jesus. Amen. Praise be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that we would take everything we have and we'd lay it at your feet because you, Lord Jesus, would be our treasure. We ask that you would turn our hearts towards you, that we would seek first your kingdom, and that we'd see the treasure that you are, that we'd be invested in you, and that we would see the love that you've poured out. Lord Jesus, that this would so fill our hearts that our hands would loosen and as a result, we would live with joy, being absolutely secure, because in you we are. Amen.